This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everybody. Uh, tonight there will be uh, the opportunity to sign up to the Possible Youth Seminar. That will be in Muncie. This coming, uh, uh, starting on Sunday, uh, will be the men's seminar. It's at 1.30. I realize that's logistically difficult when you're at a Shabbaton. That lunch starts at 2. Um, but it starts at 1.30. So somehow drop your wife off and come over um, to the men's seminar. Uh, the women's seminar is a little easier. It's difficult logistically, but you could at least come because it's Monday. It's uh, every day from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Those, num- those times are impossible if you work. Um, truthfully, you should be, uh, your boss should be paying for you to be there. And it, seriously, your boss should be paying. And there's several offices in, in uh, Borough Park where the entire office has done the possible you because the boss sends, pays for it and sends all of his staff there, not all at once. One at a time, each time I run the seminar, there's another person from an office that's coming there and getting this training. So, but ladies who, if you're not working or if you can somehow get the time off, um, it's 10 to four every day in Muncie and, uh, and it's gonna be at 185 uh, North Main Street in Spring Valley, Base Trani, will be there. And uh, sorry, that's a men's seminar. And it's funny, the men's seminar is based Chani, and the women's seminar is in a men's shul called, uh, called uh, I don't even know what it's called, but it's Rabbi Steinwurzel's shul, which is uh, uh, Larissa Court, number one, Larissa Court. Uh, anyway, but outside, uh, my assistant, Barry Eisenbach, will be signing people up, and uh, it's, I, I can't tell you enough how much you should be there. I'm no gay because I run the seminar. Uh, but they speak to people who've done it, and you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a life-transforming experience. And you, your kids, your, your marriage, your relationship with your parents deserve it. Many people come up and ask someone, what did you get out of the seminar? They're like, my husband. What did you get out of the seminar? My father. What did you get out of the seminar? My shvigar. Your life's only as good as your relationships, and when you can get your relationships very nice, like your relationships are working. And that's always going to be a function of you, your relationships. And the problem with your relationships is never going to be them. It's never them. It's always you. Now, I've decided to switch today's class. I spoke to many people on this. And, uh, and we were going to do what's called the misery comfort zone. And I may touch on it. Uh, the misery comfort zone, just to give you it in a nutshell, is, is that we all sabotage our, our happiness. The way to say it in a, in a sentence is the misery comfort zone is the amount of misery that you're comfortable with. And anything that threatens to make you happier, you will sabotage. So if you have a high misery comfort zone, you're going to like mess up your shalom bias by just saying the wrong thing or making your husband not feel safe or in the home or we'll do something to mess ourselves up. That's the misery comfort zone. I'm going to give you the quick answer. The quick answer to get your misery comfort zone, meaning on a scale of 1 to 10, a 10 being someone who's like, you know, like ready to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, and a 1 is like uh, my colleague in Yerushalayim, Zelig Pliskin, who's like just got, you know, he's just always happy and like motivated and amazing, you know. And the scale of 1 to 10, so the majority of people I meet from the Hamisha world are usually 8s, and, uh, you know, the happy-go-lucky American, you know, kid named, you know, you know uh, Greg Smith, 
is a seven. Usually Americans are like sevens. Sevens, you know, they got to like catch a cold every five to six weeks. You know, they got to break a bone once a year. Um, they, uh, whatever, those are sevens. Um, but the majority of them are sevens. And, and just if you want to get your number down, I'm just going to give you it in a nutshell because you came in for that title, but that's not what I'm going to teach. If you want to get your number down, the way you get your number down is by, is by s- seeing everything you do, everything you say, whatever's going on in your life, you always break it down to I love you or I hate you. You see, you've got a voice inside of you that says I hate you. If you listen carefully, you'll hear it throughout the day. And you've got a voice inside of you that loves you. It's just that the I hate you voice gets the microphone sometimes. For example, less sleep is I love you or I hate you. I hate you. Um, never exercising, I love you or I hate you. I hate you. Um, overeating, I love you or I hate you. Uh, not calling your wife when you're late, I love you or I hate you. That's I hate you. It's I hate you, not her. <laughs> it's I hate you, because you're going to come home, she's going to be upset, your home's not going to be a safe place to be. And so you messed it up yourself, because you, we sabotage ourselves. We're self-sabotaging on that. So what you do is, from now on, you have to have a majority of I love you statements break down your whole day to I love you or I hate you. So for example, let's say you come into a building and you've got to get up to the third floor. Now there's the stairs of the elevator. So what is I love you? Stairs. No, it's the stairs. Get a little exercise. Move your muscles. Get moving. Okay? That's I love you. Okay? You want to you take the stairs. Okay? When you, later we're going to have you know, all kinds of food going on over there. And it's I love you, I hate you. I was sitting there. I had my chillant. I had eaten how many types of meat did they serve us during lunch? And, and now I'm on my chillant. And so what did I do? I took one bite of everything. One bite, only a Shabbos, a little chicken, one bite of Shabbos, a little corned beef, one bite of Shabbos, a little, I forget what the other one was, and a one bite of Shabbos. I had one bite of the chopped liver. I had one bite of the egg salad. Was it egg salad? There was something else next to it. I forget what it was. I had one. And I'm like, I love pleasures, you know. I'm into pleasure. But I, if I overeat, I'm not a spiritual person. And I came to this earth to have a relationship with God, which is spirituality. And if I overeat, I don't feel it. I don't feel the spirituality. So, but meanwhile, I do love pleasures. I love life's pleasures. And it's Oynik Shabbos. And so if people can slide in a little, people are coming in late and they have nowhere to sit. So if you can just make a little space. Shmuley, can you make some space? Too? I'll call you out by name if you don't. If you don't. So, okay. So you break your day down into I love yous and I hate yous. And all you got to do... All you got to do is just have a few more I love yous per day. That's all. A few more. That's a few more I love yous per day. That's the, you don't have to have a ton. I'm not asking you to be a tzaddik overnight. I'm not asking you to suddenly only say I love you and not say I hate you. It's fine. Enjoy your, enjoy your white bread challah. Eat it. You know, I ate one book. What do you call it? Bookalos? I ate one of those things. Yeah, I was chewing it. I was like forcing myself to chew it. I was going to start blowing bubbles. To me, it's not even food. That's not food. It's not even, it's not even a zecher of food. And so, you know, I ate it. You know, I just got my kazayas in, and that was it. And the, anyway, break your day down. You don't have to be at tzaddik overnight. 
you can enjoy ice cream, you can enjoy your delicious things, you can have a nice time with your life, but get a few more I love yous than I hate you. Now, today's class. <laughs> today's class is a direct excerpt from a direct sample of the Possible Use Seminar, and it's going to be a little shocking, so uh, I guess just put on your seatbelts, okay? Here we go. I hate to do this to a bunch of people who didn't commit to the seminar yet, because <laughs> this is going to be a little intense. So uh, I apologize in advance. <laughs> Everyone's like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's like all the people who are too scared to do the seminar are like, how'd I get into this? You know, I came to Shabbos Kirtuni. Like, uh, okay, here we go. Should we go? <laughs> yeah, it's your last chance to leave. Okay. All right, here we go. And this is my whiteboard. It's kind of a, uh, you know. <laughs> it's just the board I found. It was in the men's section. I figured no one's using this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay, here we go. All right, let's just make a little chart here. This will be my chart. All right, here we go. So what we're going to have up here is we're going to have Men's clothes have pockets. <laughs> Lots of pockets. I feel like there's a conspiracy against women that's being run by the handbag corporations. Just make pockets. Pockets. So, so here we go. On our left, we have... The benefits. And on our right, we have the costs. And on our far right, we have a great hope for Siata Deshmaya. Now, what we're about to do, you ready for this? What we're about to do is answer the question, why do you keep doing what doesn't work for you? Why do you keep doing what doesn't work for you? Have you noticed that you keep doing what doesn't work for you? You notice that? You keep doing what doesn't work. Doesn't make any sense for you to be doing what doesn't work. But yet you keep doing what doesn't work. You keep doing what doesn't work. Why do you keep doing what doesn't work for you? That's the question we're going to answer. So let's look first. At the real answer, the answer is because you get a certain amount of what? Benefits. Because you're benefiting. Human beings, they only do what serves them. So there's a certain amount of benefit that you're getting. And the benefit, the first benefit is the benefit of of looking good. And the benefit of avoiding looking bad. Avoid looking bad. 
So you get to look good and you get to avoid looking bad, okay? Looking good, avoiding looking bad. That's a benefit. So for example, if you sit at a table at a Shabbos called Shabbos Keretoni and you just keep your mouth shut the whole time, what did you do? Look good or avoid looking bad? You avoided looking bad. And if you were at the table and you were like trying to like, you know, be the hack hacker that like, you know, you're the hacker that, that like, uh, you know, really has got something to sell at the table. What were you doing? You were looking good. This is going on all the time. We're looking good and we're avoiding looking bad. Okay? I mean, this is a big one. We sacrifice our kids for this because we're more interested in how we look. We're more interested in how we look based on our kids than how our kids are doing. It's, this is a big thing. This is a very big thing, and it touches all kinds of levels, but we're not on our kids right now. Enough about kids. Okay? Now, <laughs> we have discussed kids more than probably we... In, we've discussed more about kids in the last 30 hours than our whole lives. Okay? Looking good, avoiding looking bad. And now let's look at another benefit we get. Another benefit we get is the benefit of being right. Being right. Raise your hands if you like to be right. Come on, be honest here. Who likes to be right? Come on, you guys are lying. I'll ask once again. Who likes to be right? Okay, everyone likes to be right. And if you didn't raise your hand, you're lying. Okay? Everyone likes to be right. Now, there are those more abusive types who actually will, will go as far as make others what? Wrong. Make others wrong. So there's being right and there's making others wrong. Okay? I'm not going to ask someone to raise their hand for abusive behavior. Uh, being right's a bit abusive too, but, but making others wrong is mama's abusive. Okay? Being right, making others wrong. The next of the benefits we get, because okay? you got the benefit. You got to be right in the situation. But you know the famous line, you want to be right or you want to be happy? The next benefit is we dominate others or we avoid domination. We dominate others or we avoid domination. So think about it. When you got to the Shabbos table, so you could either dominate the situation or you could avoid being dominated at the situation. And we're doing this all the time. We're doing this with our parents. We're doing it with our kids. We're doing it with our siblings. We're dominating or we're avoiding dominating. Avoiding being dominated. The next benefit that we get is the benefit of justification. Justification is the benefit that we always, human beings are amazing. When they do stupid things, they always create a hushcuffer around it. We always create a hushcuffer around it. You know, like the, the um, I mean, we're, we're just constantly doing this. Like, like, I had this whole thing where, like, I like to take, I, I like to take risks because if I, if I don't die, it means I'm safe. 
<laughs> That's insane. So, but we created a hushkafer around it. Like, I would, this is how I grew up. I, I've done the craziest stuff in the world. It's a miracle I'm here. And Hashem just wanted me, obviously, to stand in front of you tonight. So, you know, I made it. But the, uh, but it, 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 I mean, it would get to the point where, like, m my wife would come in to the door in the morning and see I left it unlocked. And she's got a very protective father. Like, she grew up in a protective home. And, and she married me. <laughs> And I would leave the door unlocked. And so she, the next day, she would check the door. She sees it unlocked. She would come to me and she'd be like, she'd be like, you left the door unlocked. And I would say to her, see how safe the world is? She's like, no, lock the door before you go to bed. You know, just lock it, you know, when you get home. So, so we justify, we create whole hushkafas around the justification. But it's not just that. We justify things we eat. We justify the lack of sleep. We justify, you know, th not being with our families. You know, we justify all kinds of stuff. The next last benefit we get is the benefit of avoiding responsibility. It's got a lot of letters. Avoiding responsibility is that we get to we get to say, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. As they say in Spanish, mañana. In Yiddish, in morgen. But I get the benefit. I don't have to do it now. I'm off the hook. So I get to push it off. So I get that benefit. Now, it's time to go into the costs. Ready for the costs? So we asked ourselves, what was our original question? Why do we keep doing what doesn't work? And the answer is the benefits. Because we're on the take. We're getting, we're getting, we're getting shochad, right? Shochad blinds the eyes. Shochad blinds the eyes of tzaddikim. And so we are on the take. We're getting shochad because we're looking good and avoiding looking bad. We're being right, making others wrong, dominating, avoiding domination, justifying, avoiding responsibility. So we're always over there. Now let's see what we pay. And you're going to be shocked to see what we pay. This is what we pay. Now, one of the things we pay, avoiding responsibility. Whenever you avoid responsibility, you know what you pay? You pay, uh, I can't move the board over long anymore, maybe another touch. Uh, how's that? Is that helpful? So one of the costs that we, that we pay is aliveness. One of the costs we pay is aliveness. Meaning you got to avoid responsibility. But you feel dead. You know what aliveness is? You ever felt dead inside? So aliveness is the opposite. It's the opposite of feeling dead. But when we avoid responsibility, we feel dead inside. It's just the way it works. So you got the benefit. You got to avoid responsibility. And you paid with your aliveness. It's literally like buying a Coke. You go to the place, you give them two bucks, you get the Coke. You go to the place, you give them your aliveness, and you got to avoid responsibility. That's the price we pay. We pay with our aliveness. And the proof of it is that someone who's really avoiding responsibility will do like one responsible thing. They'll go like, I don't know, they'll deliver a letter to the post office. They walk out of the post office like... You know, they run into a friend and they're like, what happened? Like, what's the great news? And he's like, I delivered a letter. 
You know, it's like the greatest thing that happened because you see when you do the responsible thing, you just feel great. You feel great. You feel alive. Now, the next thing that the next thing we pay with is let's do uh, our most important need. What's our important for those who have been in my classes? What's our most important need? More than food, water, shelter, clothing, love, loving connection. Our most important need. Loving closeness. So what happened? We got to be right. But the second we're being right or dominating people, what, di- what suddenly jumps out of the room? What goes flying out the window? Love and closeness. The second you put your being right hat on, and everyone here raised their hands, the second you put on your being right hat, you, you just chase the love out of the room. Which is the which is the chius. That is the life source. That is the muzzle of humanity. And so we'd rather be right than have love and closeness. We'd rather make others wrong than have love and closeness. We'd rather dominate others and avoid people's domination and pay. We pay for the coke. We pay with our love and closeness to, in order to be right. Who are we fooling? But that's what we do. We're all paying this price. And then the next level is self-expression. When you're looking good and you're avoiding looking bad, you're paying with your self-expression. When you're looking good, when I say looks, by the way, I don't get fooled into thinking it's just the way you look. I meant like how you come off to others, how you're coming off to neighbors, how you're coming off to, to anyone down, walking down the street on a bus, in a car, uh, how you come off for others to look good and avoid looking bad. What you pay with is your self-expression. Now, that's pretty scary because a human being is called a mendaber. We're called speakers, expressors. We are expressors. And if you're paying the price of self-expression to look good, you're selling your own life down the river. Example of, of not raising your hand in class when you have an important question to ask. That would be an example. Um, the uh, uh, speaking up in a community. I saw a community. The community had a pedophile issue, and it could have been it could have been fixed, but we couldn't find someone to step up. Everyone's like, let someone else do it. And you want to know something? The property values in that little community went from like pretty good to I, I, they're going to be twenty years before anyone can sell an apartment. So, so all the people who would want to move out because of it can't sell their place. Then now they're all stuck there. Meaning they took it, in the end, the, the law took care of the issue. But, so there's no more issue there, but no one can sell a house because they, they, everyone lost their property value because everyone was so busy looking good and avoiding looking bad to be the guy. That to, to the point of even uh, causing da- our, putting our kids in danger. No one wanted to be that person. 
Uh, you should know, you guys heard of uh, Charlie Harari? Charlie Harari, Lori Palatnag, you heard of these people? So you, you know what happened is, is they, they heard this class. They heard this class, and ever since they heard this class, they went ballistic. Lori Palatnag was married to an outreach rabbi. She was not the outreach rabbi. Charlie Harari was running a business. He was not an outreach rabbi. But they finally realized, wait a second, what's going on here? I'm so busy looking good and avoiding looking bad when the Jewish people are dying. I have what to say. And they started saying it. And look what happened. Look how many people they've touched. Self-expression. We pay, we give our self-expression to look good and avoid looking bad. Is that enough examples for now? Thank you. Okay, so Viter, Viter, we're going further. The next is, the next is health and vitality. I'll translate vitality. Health, I think we know what health is. Health is, is brius. And vitality is chius. Vitality is chius. It's the, the physical, like, stamina. Like, you ever seen toddlers, the way they move around? <laughs> Can you imagine moving like that? Try, following a, try doing everything a toddler does for a couple hours. <laughs> we'll have to take you to the hospital. That's chius. They have chius. Real chius. Physical chius. And, and they're also healthy. When we justify ourselves in our health behaviors alone and I already spoke about like other things like leaving the door unlocked like justifying oh to, to show you know look how safe we are when we justify our health behaviors whether it goes to sleep food exercise stretching anyone who doesn't stretch three times a week if not daily over the age of 40 I can't imagine there's no dimfacheshvan how can there not be dimvacheshman for that? Because the body gets tighter and tighter and tighter. After 40, your body gets tighter and tighter and tighter. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now much older than 40 without going into my specific age. And, the, and I'm much more flexible than I was when I was an athlete at 18 years old. But I saw when I turned 40, I said, who am I fooling? <laughs> who am I tricking here? You've got to be... Flexible, coordinated, balanced, and strong, especially over 40. But those are the habits you've got to develop early. And for, at least if you heard me say this, you've got to de- start now. Now, health and vitality, and by the way, I know we're coming up to Hanukkah and everyone's like, oh, that sounds very Greek. You should know it's the most spiritual thing you can do for yourself. You know why? Because someone who has an ailment does not feel their neshama. When the body's screaming, think about it. If you stubbed your toe right now and your toe's like going like, you know, you do, ah, are you you or are you your toe? You are your toe. Your whole world just like collapsed down to your toe. And someone with a headache is a head, and someone with a backache is a back, and someone with a bellyache has become a bellyache. You're your kishkes. The most healthy thing you can do is be someone who is physically fit. That's the most, did I say healthy? <laughs> the most spiritual thing you can do 
is be someone who's physically fit. Because when the body's quiet, the neshama can do its thing. And the neshama has a lot to say. But when the body is, you know, blasting its volume over the soul because of a lack of health, flexibility, stamina, balance, strength, when the body's yelling, the soul's, you can't hear it. And by the way, you should know, I mean, I don't want to embarrass anyone, but the rest of the world knows this. You know, know, like the gurus in India, you know, these highly spiritual beings over there, they're not exactly on their way to McDonald's, okay? These people are extremely flexible, strong, and, you know, careful with their physical health. Okay? But we're so busy with justification that we pay with our health and vitality. And lastly is, and this is just the general one, is satisfaction. Satisfaction is, is, means you're like a satisfied customer of planet Earth. You're satisfied. You look yourself in the mirror at the end of a day and you're like, Gishmak. You look yourself, can you imagine, look at yourself at the end of the year. It's, it's Erev Rosh Hashanah, the last night of Elo. And you look in the mirror and you're like, Gishmake. Let's do it again. That's not what we're doing. We're like, we're like, ugh. We're like, get top shin and Zion off of me. And let's like, we even have a tefillah where we say, let the kalalas of last year end and the new year, and the blessings of the new year begin. And the funny thing is, is we go to shore Rosh Hashanah, and we're like, davani, davani, davani. <laughs> But the funny thing is, eventually, after enough years of this, you, you, you realize you davened last year. I, I already did this. Chab, not everyone chab. I did this already, and then perfectly recreated my year. So, like, who am I fooling? And you'll see that your davening goes south on Rosh Hashanah, the, the day you re- realize that you've been davening for these repeat years, these like total repeat years. It gets hard to daven when you keep getting the repeat year. But what we got on the board is why. And you, you don't realize right now, this class is a little slow because we've got to fill in a chart. Most classes are more entertaining than charts. But as you see the chart, you start to understand why you keep getting the repeat And so we lose our satisfaction of life that we cannot look in the mirror and say those words to ourselves because we've been so busy looking good, avoiding looking bad, being right, making others wrong, dominating others, avoiding domination, justifying our behavior and lifestyle, and avoiding responsibility. We lose our satisfaction of being on earth, of being here. And do the math. Do the math, my friends. You can do the math. Meaning, if you're looking good and avoiding looking bad at a scale of 1 to 10, you're like a, I don't know, it's a citizenship crowd, so I'll give it a 9 to be nice. If you're doing that as a 9, so you're probably getting about a 1 in self-expression. That's the cost. You're probably getting a 1 in self-expression while you're getting a 9 in looking good and avoiding looking bad. If you're being right, dominating others, avoiding domination, making others wrong, on a scale of 1 to 10, you do that as a 7, you're probably getting about a 3 
in loving closeness. If you're justifying your health practices on a, as an eight, you're probably getting about a two for health and vitality. The math works. In the introduction of the class, I asked you, why do we keep doing what doesn't work in our life? And it's right there on the board. Because we've been living over here on this side of the board, and we've been trading what's on this side of the board. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. Imagine, imagine that on a scale of 1 to 10, you had a 10 for all five of these. Imagine a scale of 1 to 10, you have a 10 for all five of these. Aliveness, you're just like, pfft. Loving closeness, you're, you're, you're like a magnet of relationships, beautiful relationships. Strangers come up to you. I mean, do you know how long it takes me to get from the door of an airplane to my seat? <laughs> the stewardesses already know, because I, I think I, I've gotten to know the LL uh, airlines better than my own family sometimes. But the, they know, like the second I get on the plane, that within 15, 20 minutes, they're going to be, that within 15, 20 minutes, they're going to be, you know, having to sit me down. And, it, and it's not like I'm coming up to anybody. I'm just trying to get to my seat. But imagine that on a scale of 1 to 10, you have a 10 of loving closeness, especially with your loved ones. But it actually, you can wind up having it with your strangers, your strangers. Okay? And imagine a scale of 1 to 10, where you're having full self-expression. Scale 1 to 10, you have full self-expression. You, you feel it, you say it. Can you imagine getting upset with your husband and being able to tell him that moment instead of like three days later after not speaking? I mean, the silent treatment is like a, it's like a Yiddish tradition. <laughs> But you're not exactly self-expressed if you're not able to say what's bothering you. If it takes you so long to say what's bothering you, you know, that's very far from self-expression. But imagine, on a scale of 1 to 10, your self-expression's 10. So you're not holding stuff in anymore. When you feel it, you say it. When you feel it. I mean, you obviously want to say it appropriately. You might want to wait a few minutes. You've got to find the right words. But when you, say it, when you feel it, you say it. When there's something wrong in the community, you stand up and do something about it. You're someone who has, is creatively expressed in his or her life. Imagine having that as a scale, on a scale of 1 to 10, having a 10 there, how life would be. Do you realize that you'd wind up getting along with all your people? All your people. I meet people all the time who have people they just don't really talk to anymore. And some of them are siblings. Some of them are parents. Some of them are old friends. We don't talk anymore. It's very sad. Very sad. But we, we've lost our ability to express what was bothering us. We, well, we have the ability, but we're scared to do it. Because we're just too busy looking good and avoiding looking bad and wouldn't look good and be uncomfortable. Imagine a scale 1 to 10, health and vitality. Can you imagine never catching another cold, never getting another headache, never being sore, 
no more belly aches. Can you imagine being like that? Can you imagine never getting sick? Like never getting sick for years and years and years and years and years, you never catch a cold. Can you imagine living like that? How awesome would that be? And being able to show up to Shemayim like on time, not early. <laughs> and Hashem just kind of, you know, he sees you come in and he's just like, check. And full satisfaction. Imagine a scale of 1 to 10 of being fully satisfied. How would that be? Tell me, ladies, gentlemen, how would it be if your life, you had a scale of 1 to 10 on all five of these categories? How would that be? It'd be geschmack. It would be amazing. You won the game of life, and everyone's going to want to know how you did it. You'll tell them you came to the Possible Youth Seminar. Just a little marketing plug right there. You won the game of life. Well, guess what, everybody? If this is called winning the game of life, and we're trading it for what? For these benefits. You start to realize that you've been trading life for bupkis. You're trading life for a bunch of baloney. It's crazy. You're trading your life for a bunch of shtusim. This is shtusim. But that's exactly what you've been doing because every single person in this room, with the exception of a few of my graduates who are here, which I'm kind of wondering what they're doing in here. I guess they didn't know I was talking about this. Although the misery comfort zone is also from from the summer. But everyone in this room, you know it's true that you hang out over here. You're always over here. And you're always trading this. And the question is why? You get a, you tell the staff to turn off the air conditioning. The question is why? It, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, can you imagine paying $5,000 for a Coke? Can you imagine paying $5,000 for a Coke? Sounds crazy, right? Would anyone pay $5,000 for a Coke? You'd never do it. Tell me, would you pay $5,000 to have this? To pay 10, 20? Seminar is only $750. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people, <laughs> people are like, oh yes, oh yes, $10,000 to have that. It's worth every amount of money you got. It's worth it all. You know why? Because whatever you get in your life, if you don't have this, you ain't got nothing. You get that? Because if you don't have this, you have nothing. You could have a family, you could have a home, you could have money, you could have everything. But if you don't have this, you notice money is not even here? You notice there's no, nothing here that says money? Sorry? 
Yeah, so it's just, you have a half a life. It's a half life. I didn't hear what she said. <laughs> but, but apparently it was funny. <laughs> just keep going. What's your what? Oh, don't worry. Your takeaway is coming. You heard my class about the takeaway? Yeah. <laughs> Friday I said to the group, I warned them, like, you're going to hear so many classes, you're going to forget everything you heard. So just have one takeaway per class. Oh, don't worry. I'm going, you think I was just going to leave you here and make you join the seminar? I'm not that kind of guy. Okay? I, I may sound like I'm in sales, but not that bad. Yeah. Um, did you find someone for the AC? Thank you. But we're going to fix the AC. It's just a little cold. They're trying to preserve us. They heard I was talking about long life. Okay, before we get to the answer of how to fix all this, we got to first answer the question, why? Again, we're trading life for a bunch of baloney, and the question is together, why? Why? We've got to figure out why. We're not going to get the answer until we figure out why. Why would we do this? It's comfortable. It's habit. So I'm going to show you the answer. Shh. I got the answer on my phone. I wish I had the pictures next to each other. Oh, you know what? I'll do a screenshot. I'm going to show you the answer in a picture. Can you imagine me showing you the answer in a picture? I'm going to show you the answer in a picture. But you're, you're about to get the answer. <laughs> you're not going to quite believe it. Okay, where is that one? I'll take two screenshots so they're next to each other. Okay, that's one answer. Boom. Boom. And then here's the other answer. Boom. Okay, now they're next to each other. Okay, I have a men's picture and a women's picture. <laughs> Ladies, I'm just going to take a little break to show them the picture, okay? No, because it'll be hard to see for everybody. Just give me a moment. That's you. That's you at about five, six years old. Okay? That's you at about five, six years old. Can't see it? Okay, here's the ladies' answer. Okay, ladies, ready for the answer? Let me just show the camera this one. That was for the camera. Here's for the ladies. That's you at about five, six years old. No, just look. 
Not the inner child. For sure not the inner child. I'm coming back through the men's section. <laughs> Showing the camera. That's for the women watching. Bad idea. Shh. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid. We're calling her Billy. Gentlemen. Billy the Kid. Billy the Kid was a bandit like 100 years ago in America. He used to like rob trains and stuff. Rob trains. Like, he used to rob trains. He was a bandit. Gentlemen, introducing Billy the Kid. Ladies, Billy the Kid. We can call her Billette if you want. Okay? <laughs> Billy the Kid. And it is not your inner child. Believe me, your inner child would never be up to that. The reason why is because when you were a kid, about three years old, four years old, five years old, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old, eleven years old, stuff happened. Stuff happened and you got hurt. I don't know what happened to you. Something happened to everybody. There's no person something didn't happen to. You held someone's hand in the market, looked up and realized it was some other lady. And you were like, ah! Your mother heard you scream from two aisles down. Your father left you in shul. It was your turn to read, and you stuttered, and the kids started laughing. And in our world, the Rebbe started laughing. Or you got, you got punished, you got, you got a pitch in front of the whole class. You didn't get picked for the show. Or you got up there and you blew your lines. You're at a Shabbos table full of siblings and you said something that you thought was smart and everyone burst out laughing because you said it totally wrong. And you learned a lesson. You learned right then Keep your mouth shut. You see, Billy the Kid, you saw that Billy the Kid was holding a gun, right? Guess where the gun is? See, we're used to guns in front of us. Guess where the gun is? It's behind us. Let me pull out Billy the Kid for me. Imagine my father calls me. Now, when my father talks money, it always makes me feel like I'm nine years old. So what happens is when the phone rings, can I borrow a phone? Whose phone is this? Pretend this is my phone. I'm borrowing someone's phone. Someone's phone? Thank you. No one wants to admit they have a, an iPhone. Okay? <laughs> so what happened, my phone rings, and it's like, ring. I'm like, hello? And I'm like, this is without caller ID, obviously, because if there were caller ID, I wouldn't have answered it. It's my father. Hello? And, and, hi, son, it's, it's your father. And then Billy the Kid goes, tell him it's bad timing. Uh, Dad, it's really bad timing, yeah. Tell him you can't speak now. Yeah, Dad, I can't speak now. Tell him you gotta go. 
Dad, I gotta go. I'll try to speak to you later. Click. And that's what we call orphaning. Orphaning is when you kill someone way before they die. Here's a woman. She's going for a job interview. You know, she's in Budapest or something. She's going for a job interview. And the people say, so, now, they're expecting her to ask for $50,000 a year. And they're not going to give that. They're going to give 40. But they're expecting her to ask for 50. They're like, so, Mrs. So, Mrs. Goldberg, how much were you planning on making at our company? Take 30. I think $30,000 would be a good amount. And then, of course, Billy the kid, she's just like. <laughs> and the lady who's interviewing you, it was a trick question. Money's only going to be mentioned on the third interview. This was just to check your self esteem. Um, can you tell them it's like getting to emergency cold levels? Yeah. You told them again? Okay. I mean, literally, we're going to have to walk out of here. The, um, the, it's just my tourney time, buddy. <laughs> but I'm, I've made him in charge of air conditioning. Is that guy trying now? No, but you spoke to the, you spoke to the care of Tony's guy. So. Okay. Now, I've got a question, ladies. Gentlemen, I have a question. When I get off the phone with my father in 10 seconds flat, am I 33 years old or am I nine in that moment? Nine. I'm nine. And ladies, when you say you'll take $30,000 for a $40,000 job, are you 28 years old? Or are you a six-year-old little girl trying to get picked for a play? You're six. And it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. There's a little kid behind you with a gun that keeps clicking the gun and, ha and acting through the adult you. But I have news for you. There are no kids in this room. Kids weren't even invited to the care of Tony Shabbaton. There are no kids in this room. Yet each one of us has a little kid mopping the floor with our adult life. Each one of us has a little scared, hurt kid from school, from Shabbos tables, And various other experiences that no one even knows about. Because when you're a little kid going through that, you don't tell anybody. Today you know. If you, if you go through something hard today, you know. You call a friend. You speak to your spouse. You like, get it out. If you're going through something, you get it out. We all know that. But when you're that little kid, I don't know what it is, but we don't, I don't know. We don't want to disappoint our parents when we got home. It's our own little secret about ourselves that no one should ever know. And so it didn't go out. What it did instead is we got locked into this side of the board. And so we've had a scared little kid mopping the floor 
with our adult life. Mopping the floor with our marriage, mopping the floor with our earning ability, mopping the floor. Oh, there's my friend. Oh, hey. <laughs> What's that? I love this guy. We've been together for years. You know what? Let's go with no, uh, either heat or um, nothing. Heat. Right, no, we could do a little, maybe leave it open and tell someone how to do it because right now it's so cold that people are like starting to shake. My hands are frozen. Maybe switch it to, uh, maybe put it up to um, 73, 71. Nice, nice. Nice, nice. I'll give you a South African nice. Nice. South Africans say great things. They, th- they, say, they say food is nice. How did you like your sandwich? It was nice. I'm like, I, when I got to South Africa, I'm like, people are nice, not sandwiches. You know, they're like, no, that was a very nice sandwich. And you know what they call rabbis in South Africa? They call them ribeyes. Like, a, like the steak, ribeye steak. Ribeye. They're so respectful in South Africa of rabbis. It's incredible. You're like, a, you're like a king in South Africa. Can I take the ribeye here? Can I take the ribeye there? Can I take the ribeye here? I get back to my wife in uh, Yerushalayim, and she's like, do you mind taking the garbage out with you? And I'm like, do you realize who you're speaking to? <laughs> this is the ribeye. She's like, okay, ribeye, take the garbage. But I, I learned a real lesson because uh, South Africa is always like, like 30 years behind the rest of the world. So no offense if you're watching this from South Africa. And that's changed since internet. Like they've kind of caught up now. But years ago, they were like 30 years behind. So, so they were before feminism. So I'd, be, I'd be finish a year and I'm driving around with the husband, you know, some, <laughs> some lady's husband. And I'm driving around with some lady's husband. And, and I'm like, I'm starving. I'm starving. Where's the restaurant? I'm starving. He's like, Oh, we could get dinner here. Let me call my wife and let her know. So yeah. he calls his wife, and he's like, he's like uh, uh, the ribeye wants to eat, so I'll be home after dinner. And she's like, and I'm listening there on speakerphone, so she's like, she's like, okay, sweetheart, no problem. I can't do a South African accent. But okay, sweetheart, no problem. Okay, after the dinner, I'm like, is there any live music in Johannesburg? <laughs> he's like, rabbi, ribeye? Anyway, calls his wife. He says, the ribeye wants to hear a little live music. So obviously, it's not, a, not going to a rock concert, right? Like, you know, like a kumzitz. And there's a lot of Karlibach people there. So he's like, yeah, we'll go to, go to a little kumzitz. So later, I'm, later, I say to him, hey, you know what? There's some Rav giving a chabura right now on the other side of town. And he keeps calling his wife and saying, later, 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 later. Each time, his wife's like, the last conversation, they were like, she's like, okay, I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Two weeks later, I'm in Manhattan. I mean, like some like super fancy Audi SUV, driving around with some husband, and I'm and I'm literally dying of starvation. I'm like, I gotta eat, I gotta eat, like you gotta take me to eat. So he calls his wife, and it's a hailstorm. It's a hailstorm, and, and I mean it's like insane, and it's rush hour, and like there, there's just no way to get anywhere unless you're already in a vehicle, and and he calls his wife. He says, Yeah, Rabbi Glazer's hungry, so I'm gonna take him for dinner. She's like, Why doesn't Rabbi Glazer take a taxi? And like literally, not five seconds later, I am outside the cab, outside his car in a hailstorm, and hailing a cab, <laughs> which is not coming. I just went into some office building like this for a while. Okay, 
Back to our class. Now, that's American women. She'll show that ribeye. Okay. Now, so the answer is, the answer is, is that why, I said we got to figure out why. If we don't know why, we're not going to get anywhere. The reason is, is because we've got a hurt little kid holding a gun behind us who's been mopping the floor with our adult life. And that includes all our love. I promise you, gentlemen, every woman in here has a complaint. About hers, not about all of you, just about their specific husband. <laughs> There's a hurt little kid mopping the floor with our marriage. There's a hurt little kid mopping the floor with everything we're doing. There's a hurt little kid mopping the floor. We're justifying all kinds of stuff when we could be making much more money. But we're so busy justifying stuff because we're really, there's a hurt little kid who doesn't want the rejection. Hurt little kid who doesn't want the rejection. That would come with potentially taking that risk to make more money. Now, how do you get your life back? How do you get your life back from Billy the Kid? He said Muncie. (laughs) The Muncie seminars, those are going to go down in history, I'll tell you. (laughs) He's on sale. I have to say, I I did used to make a lot of money before I went legit, but like... uh, some lawyer said, Rabbi, Rabbi. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was a lot more lucrative before I became an actual company. So, so <laughs> now uh, the government's making half the money. Now, we got the why. The why is because there's a little kid who's been mopping the floor with our adult lives. That's the why. Now, how do you get your life back? How do you get your life back from Billy the Kid? I'm going to tell you two answers. Answer number one is you get off it quick. Everyone say, get off it quick, please, together. Get off it quick. Okay. Again, get off it quick. One more time, get off it quick. What happens is from now on, when you catch yourself, believe me, you're all going to wind up here. What are the chances... Ladies and gentlemen, what are the chances you'll be over here at some point by the time tomorrow noon? Hi, right? And so you'll, you'll know it, and you'll, you'll, you know this now. But what are the chances you'll wind up on the, right side of the, on the left side of the board? I don't know, 100, but it's high. So what happens is you get off it quick, which means if you find yourself being right with somebody... I don't think any of you are so abusive to be making others wrong at this point. But if you're being right with somebody, you're dominating somebody, get off it quick. You'll sense the love disappears. And you'll get off it quick. 
Now, how do you get off it quick? You'd be like, you're talking to them. You're arguing your side. They're arguing their side. You're arguing your side. They're arguing their side. The love is just going bye-bye. But what happens is you sense it. You become sensitive to love. That, like, that I'm a love connoisseur. I'm a connoisseur of connection with people. So if I feel the connection's going, I get off it quick. Let me give you an example. I work for Aisha Torin, Yerushalayim. I've been doing outreach for 26 years now. And think about it. I've got an impossible job because I've got to be right. I've got to be right. There's no way for me not to be right because if you want to bring someone into Torah, you've got to be right about God and you've got to be right about Torah. You get that? Now, if I'm right about God and I'm right about Torah and I win, what does that make them? If I'm the winner, what does that make them? Loser. Is a loser? If I make someone a loser, are they joining yeshiva? No. So I got an impossible job. How am I supposed to do outreach? So you want to hear how I do it? Well, it's four words. What are the four words? Get off it quick. Everyone say it. Get off it quick. I just get off it quick. How do I do that? I monitor the love. Okay, obviously you can't do outreach if you're not developing a connection to the person. So I monitor that connection. I'm keeping an eye on it. It's got a little meter. It's like it's connected, connected, connected. Now, I, I'm discussing with him that there's a God, that there's Torah. You know, I'm proving it. I'm proving this Aisha Torah. Aisha Torah proves this stuff. So what am I watching as I'm proving it? <laughs> the meter's like, because he's arguing, but he's losing. He's losing the argument. Because I have a full university degree background. And, I mean, I know all the secular stuff, and I know all the Torah stuff. Not that I know all of Torah, but I know all the stuff to McCarvin person. Maybe that's all I know, actually. But the, um, just kidding. It's definitely what I know. <laughs> it's a little hard to remember the rest of it. Now, the, anyway, but what happens is as I see the meter is going down and it's getting cold because he's starting to lose, immediately I change the subject. Immediately I change the subject. I say, so where are your ancestors from? He's like, who's talking about ancestors? I'm like, I am. New subject. I immediately change the subject. Another thing, let's say I'm doing a birthright group. I got 50 kids from birthright, all totally secular kids. And some kid raises his hand to kill what I'm saying. To kill what I'm saying. Like, I made a whole thesis, a whole class built around something, and he raises his hand to kill it. And when he kills it, if I fight him now, what did I just do? Because I'll crush the guy. I will crush him. There will be nothing left of him if I keep going here. So you know what I do? You know what I tell him? I tell him you're right. I actually tell him you're right. And the whole class, I'm, it's an amazing thing to see this, but the whole class gets so warm. You have, you know, 50 birthright kids in tank tops and shorts. 25 boys, 25 girls. And you just feel the warmth in the air when I said, you know what? You're right. The whole class just warms up. I just, I just bought all of them just now. I just put the whole room in my pockets. Now you're all looking at me like, how can you let the guy be right? So you know what I do? This is a separate thing, but I go to the board, and I actually draw two circles that are intersecting, and I say, you're absolutely right about this. I was talking about that. <laughs> Meaning you can always further distinguish subjects. And they were right. They were right about that subject. But I was talking about something else that, that you could see why it blurs. But actually, let's distinguish those two subjects. I was kind of the room. The whole room warmed up. 
The whole room's all of a sudden my best friend. Now, I've also been in arguments with people where I see it disappear, and I'm like, I'm in the middle of this argument, and I say to the guy, you know what, you're right. He says to me, what do you mean I'm right? We're in the middle of a fight. And I'm like, you're right. He said, how can you say I'm right? I said, when you're right, you're right. Because I was starting to win, and he was starting to go cold. So I said, once I get that cold meter, he's right. So he says, come on, you don't really believe I'm right. You're making this up. I say, you know what, let's Google it. We'll Google it. And if we're in base midrash, I say, let's go ask the Shalomayish. Like, let's go talk to the Rav, see what he says about this. He says, but I want to discuss it. We'll discuss the next sugya. Let's go talk to him. I don't want to lose the love and closeness in my life. I want love and closeness. So I get off it quick. You catch yourself buying, you know, one of those fried, saturated fat, you know, MSG, uh, trans fat garbage, and you find yourself with a bag of that in your hand walking down the aisle of some place. Get off it quick. Just put it back. Just put it back. (laughs) Put it back in the shelf. You already bought it, get a refund. Sometimes someone opens like barbecue Pringles or something. And, you know, and I'm just like, ah, how about those barbecue Pringles? And I forget myself for a second. I'm like, can I have some of that? And the guy's like, sure, take. So he hands me the can of barbecue Pringles. And I'm sitting there and I'm going like, wait, I got to get off this quick. So you know what I do? I go like this. I put my nose in there. I'm like, There you go. And the guy's like, what was that? I'm like, well, it's not very healthy, but it smells good. So I smell it. Have you ever tried this? Just smell whatever it is you're about to eat. It's like taste. It smells like taste. I mean, how long does taste last anyway? You swallow it, it's over. <laughs> smell, smell it until it goes bad. You can smell food. <laughs> All these ladies are looking at how thin I am, and they're like, Rabbi, you look like you've been smelling a lot of food. <laughs> you should try eating some. <laughs> You get off it quick. You find yourself, you're in a class, you're in some situation where you want to ask a question, but you don't. Your hand keeps coming up, and you're like, get off it quick and ask the stupid question. Literally a stupid question. Because <laughs> that's the whole reason you didn't want to raise your hand, because it's kind of a stupid question. Ask your stupid question. Even if it's a stupid question, at least you expressed yourself. At least you said what you wanted to say. You got to, you got to ask. Get off it quick. You're avoiding responsibility. My advice, choose something small just to get the ball rolling, like deliver the letter. Do something. Organize your shelf. Get something little done. Get the ball rolling. And then get to the rest of your responsibilities. So I said I would give you two answers. Answer number one is get off it quick. Answer one was get off it quick. Answer two is much deeper. Answer two... We don't have time for it. But answer two is much deeper. And answer two is to take the gun away from Billy the Kid. I've got an interesting thing to tell everybody here. Does any adult in the world want this? Any world, anyone adult want this going on? Is there any adult wants that? To be living over here and trading this. There's not an adult in the world who wants this. Not an adult in the world. Well, guess what? You want to hear something amazing? Before you were three years old, when you were like that cute, little toddler, that two-year-old's amazing energy. 
you know, bursting with energy and love and connection. Think about it. Look at this list over here, everybody. Look at this list. Two-year-olds, toddlers. You know those delicious toddlers full of energy and love and life? How are they at aliveness? Scale one to ten. Ten. How are they at loving closeness? Ten. How are they at self-expression? Ten. <laughs> They're too much self-expression. You ever, you ever had like people over for Shabbos and you're changing the diaper and then you forgot someone called you out of the room and you come back, the baby's gone? <laughs> A little too much self-expression over there. You know. How are they at health and vitality? Ten. And how are they at satisfaction? Twenty. Why? Because their mind hasn't developed yet. And this is some of the work we do in the seminar. And we're not going to go in deep here. But some of the work we do in the seminar is our mind is so developed that it ruins our joy because we can't be in the moment. Our mind keeps throwing us into the future. If you're going to make a chasana in a couple months, you're not going to be alive these couple months because your mind's always there. You miss your own kids at the Shabbos table. You still have a Shabbos table for three months. But you don't even think about it. You're not even there. And how much of our past has been informing how we look at the present? But little toddlers have no concept of the past. That's why they keep doing the same crazy thing every day. Like, it doesn't help to tell a two-year-old they're not allowed to do that. Because they just can't remember the next day. Because they're always where? Here and now. They're always here and now. And they're always fully satisfied. No matter what's going on, the toddler's satisfied. And if they're not satisfied, they're going to let you know. And they'll be crying and they'll be satisfied a minute later. They, don't, they have zero tolerance for lack of satisfaction, whereas the rest of us have developed a tremendous tolerance for lack of satisfaction to the point where we've been going year after year in a rerun, repeat mode of our lack of satisfaction lives, living on this side of the board and trading with this side. But we spent the first three years in our lives on this side of the board and this is the stuff adults like. And this is the stuff that Billy the Kid likes. Tell me, does Billy the Kid, the scared little kid in you, the six-year-old scared little kid in you, does, Billy, does that kid care about aliveness? No. That kid just wants to get through a day without embarrassment. Does that kid care about love and closeness? Not at all. They will, they will do crazy things and ruin all their relationship with their siblings. Just fighting at the Shabbos. You ever seen, a, you ever seen a, a boy like beat up everybody at the Shabbos table? Like everyone gets a shot? They don't care about love and closeness. They're trying to survive. Little tiny voices, silent, not silent, silent to us, but not to them. They're trying to survive a little voice in their head that got started when they were about four, five, six years old. And the way they survive that voice is by, is by being right, making others wrong, dominating, avoiding domination, taking away the love and closeness. Tell me, does Billy the Kid care about self-expression? <laughs> not at all. It is not a value, self-expression. They want to either conform as much as possible. Sometimes they may rebel. But that's a separate subject. Justification. Do, do the, does a kid, those kids will justify anything. It's crazy what you can find an eight-year-old doing. Seven-year-olds. It's crazy what you can catch them doing. 
because they, they somehow figured out why it's the thing they should be doing, but it's how? And do, they don't care, as I said, they don't care about satisfaction. They're just trying to survive. So you've got a toddler for three years that was you, and you've got an adult that is you, and you got Billy the kid behind you with the gun. When you get what I'm sharing right now, something shifts in you. Right now, something shifts in you. I'm going to say it again. You got a little toddler who spent the first years of her, his or her life living only based on these costs, meaning they're not costs, these are benefits. You've got an adult you who desperately wants this stuff. You've got a kid who's not you. It's not you at all. It's Sheker. It's Motsi Shemra. I mean, think about what your kid's saying. Think what Billy the kid's saying about herself. Think what Billy the kid's saying about himself. It's something like stupid, un, uh, worthless, um, uh, incapable, weak, and I could go on and on and on what Billy the Kid's saying about herself. But there's no truth to any of that. It's not true. You're actually B'Tselem Elokim. You're awesome. You're incredible. It's Mamish, I would say it's Lush and Her, what this kid's speaking, but it's Mamish Motsi Shemra. It's not even true. It's Motsi Shemra, Doraisa. Can you imagine being at a Shabbos table? Imagine being at a Shabbos table and someone comes up to you and says, or you're at the Shabbos table and someone says to you, you're sitting at the head of the table, you're the, the mama of the tate, and someone says, hey, what do you think of, uh, 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 what do you think of uh, Yermi Berger? And you're like, yeah, or as they say, you know, what do you think about uh, uh, Ethel uh, Stein, Steinberg? You know, and you're like, oh, she's an idiot. Yeah, it's worthless. You know, he's, he's a, He's a jerk. He's, he's just unwanted. He's just unacceptable. He's just, uh, he's just, uh, uh, he, he, he can't, he's incapable. He can't do anything. Can you imagine saying that? You know what would happen at the Javazil? Your whole family would be like, what? <laughs> Did you just say that? Like, you just like... We're all willing to say that about ourselves. And we say it over and over and over again. And Billy the Kid, then she cocks her gun behind us. He cocks his gun behind you. And has, and he's speaking through your adult voice to try to protect, to make sure that you never, ever get hurt. Billy the Kid's there to protect you, except Billy the Kid has taken your life away. Year after year after year after year. You should know the possible you was free for the first three years I ran it. It's my gift to the Jewish people. I had no idea it was going to be so popular in, in the, in the you know, Haredish world. I had no idea. I did it as a gift. I created it with Rav Noah Weinberg Zatzal at Eishat Torah. 
And it was a gift to like the beginners of Asia Torah. But what happened was the, the, the boys who were already from for several years were like noticing that the beginners were like on a much higher level, at least in maturity and growth in their lives and the kishmakkeit, that they were like, we want to do it. So they made me move the, the possible you to 2 p.m. And I ran it for three years at 2 p.m. at Asia Torah every day, an hour a day for six weeks. And what happened after that is kind of funny, is the whole entire place had done it. And what happened was we had mere yeshiva tutors who would come tutor the Balchuvas at night. And they noticed that the people that were tutoring were holding on a much higher level than they were when it came to Gishmakite life, to be happy, to be free, to be at peace. And so they asked if they could come. And next thing we knew, we had a whole slew of mere yeshiva guys coming in every couple months, another group, another group, another group, another group. And after a while, a couple of Hasidic Shabbachers found out about it. It was free. It was, I was spending hours and hours, hundreds, thousands of hours. I was young. I had a couple of kids. So it was like Aish was paying my salary. I never dreamed it would be where it's at. Never dreamed. And it's still my gift. It's still my gift. And you should know, after I run a seminar, my wife, I get back to Yerushalayim. I, I, I get back there, my wife's like, you got to get yourself something. And I'm like, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a beer. And I'll literally, like, that's what I get. I'll go buy a beer. And I'll drink my beer. And enjoy the pleasure of having run the Possible Youth Seminar. I'm inviting all of you to join. There's no way we have room for all of you. But um, in the back is Barry Eisenbach. And he's going to be at a table. There's Barry. He's going to be at the back at a table right outside. Um, I'm inviting all of you, but I'll be in Borough Park also this spring, probably. I usually come around Purim time. And uh, shalom, everyone. A good tovach and amazing being together. Shkoya. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.